Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Well, good morning. It is a great Monday morning, and I hope that uh, everyone had a fantastic weekend. And of course, there are a lot of uh, headlines this morning, and I want to get to a couple before we get to our first guest. And one of them, uh, a lot of people have written in and asked me about uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and his faith, because he is obviously a Hindu rather than a Christian. And uh, he was asked about that. He hasn't been on the show for a few weeks. And uh, so, you know, I I will ask him that when he comes back on the show. He's been traveling and that's totally okay. Uh, But he actually answered this question at a town hall this week. And I wanted to play this for you because I know a lot of you are very interested uh, in this. So this is what he said about the difference between Hindu and Christian. This is cut one, and I will wait just a moment while Adam, my great producer, gets that clip ready as he's telling me that in my ear. But as soon as we get that ready, I will play that for you. And it's uh, Vivek asking the difference between Hindu and Christian. So uh, do we have that up, Adam? All right, here we go. Clip one. I love that you're uh, unabashedly proclaim that one of your tenets is God is real. And as a Christian, my faith is first and foremost who I am. Being a Hindu, can you please share your faith about God and what you think of his son, Jesus Christ? Thank you. So I appreciate that. So I'll share with you my faith and I'll share with you the relevance that I think it has to leading this country. So I'm a Hindu. There's many strains like there are Christianity, Catholicism, etc. There's many strains of Hinduism too. I believe in one true God. I believe that that God resides in each of us. I think it is the same statement of spirit when we say in the Christian tradition, and I did go to Catholic schools and I've read the Bible perhaps more closely than most Christians I know. It's the same message as when we say we are equal because we are made in the image of God. It's the same spirit to say that's where our equality comes from. It's not some secular value. We're equal in the eyes of each other because we're equal in the eyes of God. The tradition I was raised in, we say we're equal in the eyes of each other because God resides in each of us that we each have a duty to one another. You know, to think about that strand of sacrifice and duty that's foundational to Hinduism. I think it's the common strand between the Old Testament and the New. I mean, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac for God. He didn't make him follow through with it. The New Testament, God comes back and says, I will sacrifice my son, Jesus Christ, for you, the people. And so that's a long way of saying that I'm not Christian. And Just in my spirit of my answer to the last question, I will never pretend to be something I'm not. I'm always going to speak the truth about who I am and what I stand for. But I think it's deeply true that we share the same Judeo-Christian values that this nation was founded on. And this nation was absolutely founded on Judeo-Christian values. That's a fact. It is also a fact that I deeply share those values in common. And to be honest, does our church, does our family... When there isn't a Hindu temple available, will we go for our collection of self to a church if that's the next closest available opportunity for prayer? Yes, we will. And so in our tradition, we say Jesus Christ is a son of God. I understand that's different than saying he is the son of God. 
but we share the same value set in common. And I'm not running to be pastor-in-chief. I'm running to be commander-in-chief. <laughs> it's a different role, right? And, 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 and for that role, I think we share the same value set. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm very impressed with you because I think you act more like a Christian most, than most Christians. I agree. Thank you for saying that. I, we have the same values, and that's why. Thank you very much. All right. So that was Vivek at a town hall. And um, a couple of comments on this. So uh, so first of all, he's right that he's not running for pastor in chief. He's running for commander in chief. And so while there are a few uh, people, including my very dear friend, Abby Johnson, who posted uh, a clip, if any of you follow her uh, last week, that was talking about how the Christian cannot ever vote for uh, someone who is of Hindu faith. I, I personally disagree with that because I think that, that we should, as Americans, select the best candidate out of everyone who is running, we may not ever get a perfect option. And I would rather have someone who understands what the role and the limited role of the presidency or whatever elected office uh, they are aspiring to and understand that role and understand uh, that we as human beings have um, rights that come from God, our creator, and the sole purpose of government is to preserve and protect that and all of those things and have conservative values and principles. Um, I would much rather have that than the Catholic in name only that is Joe Biden, who is pro-abortion, who is a total leftist, pro the trans agenda, has all of these people at the South Lawn of the White House um, that, that are, you know, these these topless men with their uh, with their fake breasts. I mean, you know, it's it's disgusting. So everything that is Joe Biden, even though he claims to be a Catholic, and I know a lot of us who are evangelicals would say, well, there's a difference there anyway, and totally agree. But even someone who claims to be a Christian and in the capacity of president is not at all living out conservative constitutional values, I would much rather vote for the Hindu who I agree with. But that aside, um, I think it's very clear that Vivek is being um, open about what he believes, and I respect that because I don't think he should try to hide that or to try to shape it uh, to an audience for what he thinks that a, a Christian would prefer. Um, but let's get a couple of things straight about his Hindu faith. He's very clearly denying the lordship and deity of Jesus Christ while saying that uh, Hinduism is the same strain and the same value system as Christianity in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, we know that that is not true. Universalism is not a path to Christ. There are not multiple pathways to the truth. The Bible is very clear that Jesus says, I am the way, the way, the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. There are not multiple paths to God. There's one path and his name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible is very, very clear on that. And so Hinduism, like other religions, would say there are multiple paths to God. We all basically believe in the same spirit, as Vivek said. And, and this, to me, sounds a little bit like panentheism, not pantheism. The difference, of course, being that pantheism uh, means that God is everything. The material universe around us is all aspects of the spiritual. 
where panentheism would separate uh, God as a separate deity, but he is in all things. And so everything is spiritual. We are all uh, in indwelt by that spirit. As he says, you know, I think we all have the same spirit. Well, no, we don't all have the Holy Spirit. You have to first accept the truth in the one way, the way, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, before the Holy Spirit indwells you. So obviously there are differences and distinctions with that false ideology that unfortunately Vivek Ramaswamy believes and we can pray for him to come into a saving knowledge of the truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ but I do think he has been open about where he's at we can have those conversations and uh, the next time he joins me on radio we can talk about that and I'll ask him about that uh, but the broader picture for the the conversation today where a lot of you have been asking me well as a Christian I don't know that I could support a Hindu. I think that he is right that he's not running for pastor in chief. And again, I would much rather vote for Vivek Ramaswamy than I would for the current president who calls himself a Christian and is clearly not living by it. So I will vote for principles and what the person actually does in their office in civil government. Yes, we should select and prefer Christians if we can as our leaders, but sometimes uh, that's just not the option. However, this is where we do have choices in this election. And um, might I recommend that we do have a Christian who is running, and his name is Ron DeSantis. And uh, he does have a, a Christian faith. And um, next time he joins the program, I want to talk to him more about that. But all right, so uh, let me get to my first guest who is now ready. Very excited for this one. Uh, Abe Hamada, who is um, the, or he, he, well, he still is the candidate really for uh, Arizona Attorney General, and uh, he appealed to the Arizona Supreme Court for a new trial last week. Um, in a petition filed on Thursday, his team argued that the state's judicial branch had thus far failed to provide timely decisions in such a time-sensitive case. And uh, just, uh, let's see, when was this? I think on Friday, uh, the Supreme Court requested additional legal briefings before it will decide whether to accept the petition for special ac action. So, Abe, good morning, and uh, congratulations on at least uh, getting this far. I know it's been a long-fought battle. Good to be with you, Jenna. It has been. I remember when we were both uh, at CPAC together, and, uh, you know, the case is we're still kind of in the limbo stage. That's why we had to appeal to the Supreme Court. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, yeah, I mean, so now you are only shown to be about 280 votes behind after the statewide recount. So this is even tighter than uh, the roughly 500 votes initially. Um, so what do you expect to happen now that hasn't happened over the last year and a half? Well, you know, I want to take your listeners back to when we were down 511 votes. So you know, back after November, we were down 511 votes, supposedly, and they did a statewide recount that showed us down 280 votes. But that's really key because we had a trial in the middle of the recount. And at the time when we went into trial, Secretary of State at the time, Katie Hobbs, had knowledge of this recount discrepancy that shrunk our lead by this, uh, our deficit by this much. And it had to deal with a lot of these tabulators not um, reading ballots correctly and casting them as undervotes or supposedly people skipped that race. So she had all this information. She withheld it from ourself and, and the court. And, you know, as a, as a lawyer, Jenna, you, you realize, I mean, 
you have to have a duty of candor to the court. And the fact that she withheld this knowledge when she had this information, but our side didn't and the judge didn't. Now, that's ultimately why we're calling for a new trial. Um, unfortunately, at the trial court level, I don't believe the judge understood all of the facts. And uh, in his order, it was riddled with errors in just about every single paragraph, as our attorneys mentioned in our brief to the Supreme Court. So that's what we talk about. The judicial branch has failed us thus far. I mean, you look at Carrie Lake's trial. Um, she's already had two trials. And all we're simply asking to do is have that same treatment, to have this, a new trial to prove that, in fact, we did win this race. And I say that because you know, since November um, of last year, what we've discovered is that there's 9,000 uncounted ballots remaining, and we've discovered a lot of these ballots should count. So that's why our legal team feels very confident that once we're ultimately given a new trial, we're going to be able to prove our case. And, you know, we had to go to the Supreme Court because you know, the trial court has failed us, and it's, it's, it's been eight months now, Jenna. So I think at this time, the Supreme Court, and you saw how quickly they ordered a you know, schedule brief. So I think things are going to move a lot more quickly now that we're at the Supreme Court. Well, hopefully so. And, um, you know, more power to you for continuing to fight this. And I think that everyone listening has been so frustrated that it seems like election integrity issues are the one thing that the court doesn't want to address, even when uh, there clearly are issues. And and in your uh, in your case, if you're talking about 9000 votes, that's clearly outcome determinative. They love to say, well, you know, maybe there was some fraud, but it wasn't enough. Or, you know, some of these other ways that they try to uh, intentionally ignore some of these. Um, some of these problems with our system. And so uh, what what do you expect in terms of the timeline here in hopefully uh, getting that trial? So now the other side has until Friday to respond, and we have until next Wednesday to file a reply. But at that point, I think the Supreme Court is going to take up our case. And I say that because we've exhausted all legal remedies at this point. Um, and I think things will move a lot quicker now that we're at the Supreme Court level. But once the Supreme Court ultimately gives us a new trial, we go back down to the trial court, and that's when we'll be able to prove our case. And, you know, Jenna, just for your listeners to know, we're not even alleging fraud right now in our case. All we're alleging is that there are uncounted ballots that should be counted. And, you know, every Democrat loves to chant, count every vote. And, you know, just imagine right. if, if the shoe is on the other foot right now and a Democrat was down 280 votes and there were 9,000 uncounted ballots. They would be yeah. screaming at the top of their lungs to make sure all the votes would be counted. So, of of you know, course. And that's that what we need. Like yeah, of course. And we and we got to leave it there. But Abe Hamada, really appreciate it. And I hope that you do get that trial so that the evidence can pre- be presented on the merits. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And a lot of headway has been made in the country on school choice issues. And as my good friend Corey DeAngelis, who is probably the best and most effective advocate for school choice, says, fund students, not systems. And so he tweeted this uh, back last week, breaking 
the Arkansas Secretary of State just confirmed a teachers union-backed group failed to obtain enough signatures to block the state's new universal school choice program. The petition failed for three reasons. First, they didn't obtain the required uh, amount of signatures, which is a little over 50,000. Second, they didn't submit the required official affidavit. And third, they didn't meet the signature requirement in at least 50 counties. So Corey joins me now. Um, Corey, this is a great win. And I think this is just yet another feather in your cap of uh, promoting school choice all around the country. So congratulations. And um, let's first talk about Arkansas, but then kind of where the state of play is over the rest of the country. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, so uh, so this in Arkansas, you know, it's a, it's a really great win, I think, and um, it seems like the teachers uh, union backed group just honestly really didn't either know what the parameters were or they just uh, didn't care to uh, really advocate for this. Yeah, and when they first turned in the signatures, they knew they were short, but then they went back to the drawing board that later that night and said, "Oh, well, maybe we actually have a chance if you know we." if we made some errors in the counting and it looks like they did common core math because they had uh, not enough signatures they actually actually had less than they even said that they had when they initially turned them in and this really goes to show you that the teachers unions will do anything to block school choice and to maintain their monopoly so arkansas uh just passed universal school choice allowing all families to have the ability to take their kids education dollars to a public or private or charter school of their choosing, or even a home-based education option if they'd like. Well, they lost the in the legislature, the teachers unions, the uh, Republicans all voted in favor of this program, their first universal school choice program, uh, making it one of the nine states that have done so in the past two years alone. I mean, it's just a huge amount of momentum that we've seen because the left has really overplayed their hand when they pushed to keep the schools closed and parents got to see all the woke curriculum and parents have pushed back for true education freedom, including with school choice. So when the teachers unions lose in the legislature, they, they pull any other avenue that they can. They go towards the courts. They'll try to put it on the ballot to get another bite at the apple. And it looks like they're failing all over the place. I mean, they they lost in court in West Virginia, where they went universal recently. In Arizona, the first state to do so last year, uh, the the teachers union back group did something similar out there where they tried to put it on the ballot. They came up short. And this really just goes to show you that the 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 voters aren't buying what they're selling and they're they're just losing they're taking l after l after l and that's bad news for the for the uh people like Randy Weingarten who want to trap your kids in failing government schools but it's good news for parents because they're they're going to continue to have school choice in Arkansas now yeah, absolutely. And this is great news for parents. And so, Corey, um, when we're talking about universal school choice, is that a specific definition that encompasses um, a lot of different parameters of school choice? Or is that kind of used in different ways, depending on uh, what each state prefers? It looks a little different in each state, but the uh, the biggest reform has been something called education savings accounts. This is including what uh, was passed in Arkansas, where you can take the money meant for educating your child, uh, which was probably about seven or eight thousand dollars typically in each state, you can take that to the government school if you like. If you if you like your public school, you can keep your public school, unlike with your doctor. Uh, but if if not, you can take that funding to an, an education savings account directed by the parent, 
and that can be used for private school tuition and fees. You can use it for charter schools or a homeschool curriculum, private tutors, any approved education expenditures. So it's pretty. It's the most wide open version of school choice in that it has the most the the largest amount of allowable expenses. Whereas before it was kind of the voucher idea where you could only use the funding for private school tuition and fees. This really opens up the market uh, for education, being able to to use it for other expenses too that that um, that are qualified education expenses. And universal, when I say that, and most people in the movement say that, it's what we mean by that is that everybody's eligible. So for a long time, school choice has made progress incrementally where it was, you know, we were picking winners and losers. You'd only be eligible to take the funding if you were, you know, had a child that had special needs or maybe you're from a certain income. If you had a low income family, you could qualify now. It's everybody, regardless of income and background. And we've gone from this move, uh, this this shift from targeted programs to in the past two years having nine states going all in with, with universal programs. So that's a huge – it, we've had a huge shift in momentum in terms of number of wins, but the size of the wins have been a lot bigger. Which is incredible. And uh, Corey DeAngelis, you, you've been uh, one of the chief advocates and proponents for uh, universal school choice and, and to make sure that these options are being expanded uh, for parents and for students. And, you know, looking kind of back into into the history of the movement, as you're saying, you know, the momentum is shifting. What do you really attribute that to? Because, I mean, I remember even when, when I was homeschooled in high school and, you know, when in policy debate, I mean, you know, people have been talking about vouchers and kind of, you know, some of these programs for a really long time. But it seems like, um, especially in the last couple of years, this has really gained momentum and especially red states are willing to address some of these problems that um, historically maybe they were reticent or they just, you know, d- this wasn't high on their priority list. So what what do you attribute the shift in momentum to? Yeah, well, the school closures so showed parents another dimension of school quality that's arguably more important than anything that could be captured by a standardized test, which is whether the school's curriculum aligns with families' values. And so parents who, who were in A-rated schools or had their kids in A-rated schools, you know, they, they thought that they had good public schools. They started to see, well, something else is going on here, and that was really caused by the teachers' unions pushing to keep the schools closed as long as possible uh, they were really just trying to get ransom payments from the taxpayer. That worked for them, but this it really kind of backfired because there's been a you know politics is all about organized interest pushing for for what they want. And for a long time, the case for school choice was just based on kids and failing government schools with low test scores. Well, now you have more politically advantaged groups pushing for choice too. Uh, from all types of different backgrounds and income levels. And so now when you have a broader coalition pushing for the policy change, it's more likely to happen. And and that's what we've seen in the past couple of years. You have families who are in great public schools. If you look at the the metrics by the state, uh, just based on standardized tests, uh, but these are also woke public schools, too, that a lot of parents disagree with. And um, the very one-size-fits-all nature of the public school system uh, leads to uh, a lot of coalitions uh, pushing for change, and, and the, the way that we saw that was with the, the remote learning. So uh, I think, yeah, the curriculum battles have been a, a huge uh, reason for that change. And then when you push for universal programs, you also widen 
the coalition of support for the program, too. Uh, and the teachers unions, they scream bloody murder and act like the sky is falling. Whether you go for a small program that's targeted to certain groups or a bigger program that's available to everybody. So you might as well go big if they're going to cry anyway. Yeah, yeah, go big or go homeschool, I guess, is really the, uh, yeah, what, what we can learn from that one. But it is encouraging to see these broader coalitions, and it's amazing what we can do when we organize and say, you know, no, we really want to push for um, these these values, and particularly, as you mentioned, it's not just about test scores, it's about uh, the curriculum itself and uh, that the curriculum matches the family's values, and especially what we've seen over the last few years with the curriculum trending uh, so much more woke and having um, so much more content that is objectionable that parents want to opt out of. Um, that's really a, a big incentive, I think, um, from from what I'm hearing from a lot of parents who are um, joining some of these coalitions that they may not really have thought about before. So, um, so Corey, what's really the landscape then now in terms of what, um, what states are a need to 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 change and to uh, have more universal school choice that you're currently you and you know other coalitions um, are targeting mm-hmm. now to say okay you know we've had some of these significant wins like Arizona um, you know was one of the first uh, but now you know these are some other states that are starting to fall in line. Yeah, it's mostly red states controlled by GOP trifectas. I mean, and another reason for this change is, be, is be, it's become a GOP litmus test issue, partially because of these curriculum uh, disagreement issues in the public schools. So the, you know, the nine states are Arizona, West Virginia, Iowa, Utah, Arkansas, Florida, Oklahoma, Indiana, and Ohio, just in two years. And so these are all states that have uh, Republican control. So I expect more dominoes to fall in the red states. They're engaging in friendly competition to empower parents and vote for their party platform issues. So I think that's where we're going to continue to see uh, momentum. Uh, and then this year, we also have, we're, it's not over yet. I mean, we've already declared 2023 the year of school choice after we already declared 2022 is the, 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 the biggest year. And then 2021 was the biggest year, too. We've just had a three-peat on uh, victories uh, for school choice in the past three years. But Texas, we're still waiting on for a special session to come. The Senate passed the universal school choice bill backed by the governor and then the House which has too many rhinos in Texas, uh, did not get it done. So Abbott's calling them back pretty soon is what I hear. And then in North Carolina, where they have a Democrat governor, uh, Roy Cooper, who's a hypocrite, sent his own kid to private school. He declared a state of emergency over school choice this year. It's just total clown world um, because the Republicans have enough votes to override his uh, veto in each chamber. So we expect North Carolina is going to go universal on school choice this year as well. But, look, more red states will continue to do this. The momentum will will continue. And hopefully blue states will come along at some point. Um, and I think that the way to get towards bipartisanship is actually through hyperpartisanship. The more that the Republicans lean into school choice as a political winner, the more that Democrats are going to uh, face a political disaster for coming out against parental rights in education. So you'll start to see some Democrats defecting on the issue. We've seen some kind of uh, uh, read the tea leaves and at least message towards parents. Now, we saw this with Josh Shapiro, who just vetoed school choice after promising to um, 
to pass it on the campaign trail in Pennsylvania. Uh, the governor of Pennsylvania now is a Democrat, uh, uh, Josh Shapiro, who basically just lied to voters and caved to the teacher unions in the end. But at least he felt compelled to message to parents that he supported school choice, even though he basically lied about it. I think more Democrats are going to face this kind of predicament where they have to juggle picking the kids' union, the parents, and the teachers' unions, and some of them will start to defect towards the parents at some point. Yeah, hopefully so. And, yeah, isn't it sad that we have uh, Josh Shapiro up in Pennsylvania and, um, yeah, and and Fetterman and all of that stuff from the midterms that that was so unfortunate. Um, But, but yeah, and, and Corey, and this makes a lot of sense that, you know, Democrats aren't going to want to um, allow parents to exercise their rights. And so they've they've continued to harness control over the education system. But as more parents start speaking up, especially in blue states, um, then the, the, it's going to be more difficult for the Democrats to, to message and say why they're opposed to parental rights. And of course, uh, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have messaged that kids belong to the state, not to the family, yeah. which is totally absurd. And we need to continue to push back on that. And so for the parents, Parents that are listening um, across the country right now, how can they best get involved in their state um, if they're a red state or if they're a blue state? Contact the legislators and tell them you support parental rights and education. And the best way to secure parental rights is to expand school choice and allow families to vote with their feet. That's the only way the school boards are ultimately going to listen to you if you have power. Otherwise, they're going to get mad at you and try to silence you, cut off your mic, and label you as a domestic terrorist, as we saw over the past few years with the Department of Justice getting a letter from the National School Boards Association after coordinating with the Biden administration to label parents as domestic terrorists for uh, for complaining about CRT at, at school board meetings. It's absolutely atrocious, and it just goes to show you that um, you have to reform from the bottom up. You have to be able to uh, have choice in any industry, and that's and education is included. So call your legislators. Also, you can help us in the fight for education freedom at the national level by signing the Education Freedom Pledge, which is just at educationfreedompledge.com, or for short, you can just go to edfreedompledge.com, and you'll be able to track bills in your state that are moving, and we'll keep you updated uh, to, to best coordinate to, to push for change. Excellent. I mean, that is so important um, for everyone to know what legislation is being pushed through in their state to track not every single bill, but especially when there are bills on uh, parental rights issues, education issues, or whatever the issue that is dearest to them. But especially um, if you are a parent, a grandparent, um, you know, anybody who is involved in the education of, of a child, you need to know what your state is doing in terms of the legislature and how you can get involved not only contacting your legislators but also even testifying for bills uh, when they come up so uh, that's really great information thanks so much Corey DeAngelis he's a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children and you can follow him on social media on the new X which was Twitter X formerly known as Twitter at DeAngelis Corey and we'll be right back with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning
Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and we are praying and preparing this week for the National Truth for Youth Bible Week here at American Family Radio Network. So that is today, August 7th through the 11th, and we'll be giving Bibles to young people all across America that uh, will... And we'll give them away in schools. And so uh, here to talk about this more is uh, Dr. Tim Todd, who is an evangelist and the president of Revival Fires International. So, uh, Dr. Tim, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, It's glad to be here. And uh, just thank you so much for having us on your program today. Absolutely. And so obviously this is so important to get uh, Bibles into the hands of young people. And so um, as this is the 23rd annual uh, National Truth for Youth Bible Week, uh, tell us more about this and what listeners can do to participate. Jenna, this Bible, the Truth for Youth, consists of the entire New Testament along with powerful comic stories in the front section that deal with the truth about issues of moral concern that young people are confronted with on a regular basis. And we deal with some hard-hitting issues like cutting and sexting and bullying and suicide. We deal with the truth about things like evolution. We deal with the truth about things like pornography and, and homosexuality. And we deal with the truth about sexual purity and many, many other things. The Bible says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we put the plan of salvation in each of the stories so that young people will not only then know the truth about these issues of moral concern, but also how to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jenna, we put this Bible into the hands of every teenager Christian that will give it to their friends in school that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for the partnership with American Family Radio as we've already given away more than, with American Family Radio, more than 1.2 million Bibles and received decision cards from more than 25,000 young people that have been saved for the first time as a result of getting a copy of the Truth for Youth Bible. Oh, isn't that amazing? And Dr. Tim, that just shows that when uh, we are willing to step out in faith and share the truth of the gospel of Christ with others, God is still in the business of changing hearts and minds. And that is the ultimate purpose uh, of us to our fellow man is, first of all, of course, we need to come into a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And then we are commanded through the Great Commission to uh, teach the gospel of Christ and to uh, to share the good news uh, with everyone. And so how do you encourage uh, young Christians to uh, to to gain the courage to give uh, their unsaved friends a Bible and to initiate that conversation. Uh, sometimes that can be intimidating for, for young kids. Yes, it really can. And that's what's, I'm, why I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit laid on my heart the design of the Truth for Youth Bible because, Jenna, it does not look like a New Testament, does not look like a Bible, but on the outside of the Bible, it has a very sharp-looking cover. And then on the back of the cover, We put the students' legal rights on public school campus, 10 of them, to let our young people know, number four we have in bold, that it says our young people have the right to legally give Bibles away on campus during non-instructional time. And like you said, Jenna, it can be very intimidating a lot of times to uh, uh, witness at school. But we have got so many study helps in the Truth for Youth Bible about how to be a, a strong soul winner, how to pray, how to read your Bible, 
Then in addition to that, these powerful comic stories, how to evangelize. And so we, we give these Bibles away to young people. And if they boldly go on their school campus and we encourage them, just pray, Lord, who do you want me to give this Bible to? And the Holy Spirit, I've got so many testimonies of young people that received a copy of the Truth For Youth Bible just at the right time to ward off them having committing suicide and things like that. And so we're so thankful that as bold young people step out in faith and say, I will take a Bible to school and say, here, I've got a free gift for you. And that makes it so easy for them to evangelize on their school campus. Wow, that's incredible. And, and what, um, if you wouldn't mind, you know, sharing a couple of those testimonials um, that you're aware of from kids who have stepped out in faith and who have uh, gone out in courage and have shared the truth of the gospel of Christ. Absolutely, Jenna. In fact, it, Carmen in Minden, Louisiana, was in a sexually active relationship with her boyfriend this just this past year for for about two years. And she was smoking pot every day, making poor grades in school. And a friend of hers brought her a Truth For Youth Bible that she heard about on American Family Radio in last year's project. She got her life right with the Lord, broke up with her boyfriend, and now is faithfully serving God. And that testimony from Carmen makes it worth every one of the 1.2 million Bibles that we've given away. In fact, Andy in North Carolina, uh, have he... Uh, he got a copy of the Truth for Youth Bible and gave it to a young man in his school by the name of Eric. And uh, he, he knew that Eric was struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. And Eric sent a decision coupon with a letter indicating that he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and got plugged into a local youth group and is now and is now serving God. That makes it worth all of the t- uh, the Bibles that we're giving away. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, and and these types of testimonies are so encouraging uh, to hear from young people who are uh, giving their lives to Christ and setting their focus and their mind on eternal things and getting their life uh, straight at such a young age instead of uh, toward you know the end of their life saying, I wish I had had my whole life to serve the Lord. And so how would you encourage uh, Dr. Tim uh, some students who maybe are saying, well, you know, I, I have a personal faith, but I'm a little bit nervous to share that on my campus because I go to a public school or I go to a school and I'm, and I'm concerned that someone's going to say, well, you're just pushing your values on me or, you know, this isn't as cool to be a Christian or, you know, some of those types of objections. You know, Jenna, that's a very good question because young people today, many of them Christians, perhaps are intimidated by all of the things that are going on in the uh, woke society that we have that has crept into our public school systems and is just blatant. And so I encourage young people to realize that the Word of God is true. And here's what God's Word says. He said, the Word of God will not return void, but that it will accomplish everything that God desires to do. And also the Word of God says in Luke chapter 8 of verse 8, some seed fell in good soil and produced a hundredfold harvest in return. And verse 12 says, the seed is the Word of God. So I want to encourage young people to realize that God's Word that is true and God's Word that is the light shining in the gospel, that if you will take it boldly 
and going on your school campus. Don't be intimidated by the world because the world doesn't hold a candle to what Christ has. And if they share the gospel of Jesus Christ, it won't return void. And if they plant the seed of God's word into the hands of young people, God will bring forth a harvest as a result of them being bold on their school campus. So true. And and, and this is where... Um, you know, this is exactly the age that a lot of students are questioning and they want to know the truth about the world around them. And obviously the school system and education is not providing those answers and only the truth of the gospel of Christ and the biblical worldview can provide the full and sufficient answers uh, for the hope that lies within us and for the world to which we are presented. And, and Christian uh, kids need to know that we have answers. It's not just um, our faith because we happen to go to church or because we were raised that way or um, or faith like you know, we have faith in Santa Claus or something that's a fairy tale or a myth or a crutch or any of those things. It's not just religion. It is the truth and it's the best explanation, as C.S. Lewis said, for the reality to which we're presented. And young people today need to know that they can be grounded in that so that they can be confident to share their faith. And that's what what really um, encouraged me, uh, Dr. Todd, as I um, as I was in high school and um, and I was homeschooled all the way through, and my parents taught me um, not only theology and the sufficiency of, of the Bible, and um, we read through the Bible annually um, in homeschool, but then also studied apologetics, so that then when I went to college and law school and all of that, I had answers because I think that one of the things that um, a lot of kids wonder and um, and that churches unfortunately fail kids uh, a lot is to say, well, you know, just take it on faith, just take it on faith rather than saying, no, the Bible has answers and it ha- and we need to know those answers and we need to be confident in our faith because it is true. And um, and so how would you then encourage um students to become a part of this program and to uh, to read, obviously read this for themselves before they share uh, with a with a fellow student. Um, but how can kids who are listening or uh, parents who are sharing this with their kids uh, get involved in this program? Jenna, all they have to do is go to truthforyouth.com. And here's what we're doing. We're giving one Bible per teenager, per household, to every parent or grandparent that will go to our website, truthyouth.com, and the landing page is the free Bible form for them to fill out. And if they have three teenagers in their home, ages 13 through 18 years old, or however many they have, we will give them a free Bible. Now, they can get additional copies at a discounted cost if they want to. We encourage them to do that as well. Get them for your youth group or whoever, but get the Bible, take it to school, and give it to somebody in school that doesn't know the Lord. In fact, this, this is crazy, Jenna. 23 years ago, when we started this project in Purvis, Mississippi, there was a coach, a football coach, that took a Bible, interrupted a class, came in and put it on the uh, desk of one of the young men that was struggling with drugs and things like that, wasn't living right. And as a result of getting a copy of that truth, uh, the Truth for Youth Bible, that young man gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 23 years later, that young man, Christopher Miller, is now my pastor in West Monroe, Louisiana. He got wow. a Bible 
a, a Truth for Youth Bible 23 years ago in the first project we did. And that is what we are encouraging young people. You just never know the Billy Grahams and the uh, different ones that God is raising up in these last days that are giving their heart to the Lord as a direct result of getting a copy of the Truth for Youth Bible and giving it to somebody in school that is struggling that needs Jesus Christ. That is incredible. And what an amazing testament to uh, the work of the Lord, because it's true. You never know what seeds you plant along the way, how uh, God will use that. And and again, he's still in the business of changing uh, hearts and minds. And so uh, Dr. Tim Todd, president of Revival Fires International, thanks so much. And uh, you can visit uh, friends, visit truthforyouth.com, or you can call 833 833- Five seven four sixteen hundred. That's eight three three five seven four sixteen hundred. And uh, you can get these Truth for Youth Bibles to distribute uh, on schools and on campuses. And Dr. Dodd is right that um, that students should not be afraid about sharing their faith on campus. Um, if you have any questions about the the legal aspects as well. I would highly uh, commend for your reading um, at adflegal.org. The Alliance Defending Freedom um, has actually put together some really good information just on uh, their main page there for uh, students' rights and also for uh, professors. If you are a professor on a on a campus um, that that wants to use Christian material or wants to know, you know, what are the parameters in terms of sharing your faith, um, they give a lot of really, really good resources. And of course, um, if you happen to uh, to then run afoul of that or, or someone tells you that you've run afoul of that, you can also um, ask them for help. And uh, that's at adflegal.org. But, um, but I just want to underscore in the last few minutes that we have here, why this is so important that we share our faith and why it's so important that we, as Christians, know the truth And then we take the truth of the Christian worldview and of the truth of the Bible. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The truth doesn't change. And why we fulfill the Great Commission. And that, of course, is in Matthew uh, 28, where Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We have to know what we believe. We have to know the truth before we can share it, before we can apply it to our lives and we can't compartmentalize our faith. We should be Christians first and everything we do should be an expression of and a testimony to the truth of the gospel of Christ. And parents, I would encourage you to be the model of the Christian life to your kids and have them see you sharing Christ. Have them see you uh, be unabashed about your faith and not just in the context of church and in some of these, you know, safe spaces, but make sure that you are engaging the community around you and always telling people why you have the hope of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So um, you can, again, go to truthforyouth.com 
And that's all the time that we have here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. You can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net. You can follow us on X at Jenna Ellis AM. You can follow me personally on all platforms at Jenna Ellis ESQ. And I will see you tomorrow. Make it a great day for the Lord. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith, Family, Freedom, American Family Radio. In the first year of marriage, you remember I'd ask you a question and you'd take a second, mm-hmm. process the question. You'd ask me a question, I'm like, boom. <laughs> but then what would often happen is I'd have to come back and I'd have to say, hey, you know, I don't know if I really actually 